This week's episode is very short, under 30 minutes, but it's packed with valuable insights about how to get your product specced as original equipment on something larger, or just to get your product, service, or tech bundled in as part of a bigger finished good. Apologies in advance for the wind noise. I met the product managers for Marin Bicycles at an outdoor cafe while at a mountain bike event to ask them how and why they choose the parts that go on their bikes. The lessons they shared are applicable whether you're hoping to get your product on a bike, a car, used as part of a retail or entertainment venue, or bundled in with another product to help drive sales. If your product can be used to add value or functionality to something else, this episode explains the product manager's thought process and walks you through the steps you need to follow to make your product a viable option for OEM spec. The podcast by Tyler Benedict that explores the startup stories and growth tactics of hundreds of entrepreneurs, plus his own tips and tricks learned over two decades of launching, running, and growing businesses, including BikeRumor.com, the world's largest and most popular cycling tech blog. If you're thinking of starting your own business, the Build Cycle will give you the tools and inspiration to do it right. Now, let's dive into this episode of The Build Cycle. All right, I'm sitting here with a couple of my friends from Marin Bikes, and we're hanging out in the French Alps. I guess this is the Alps, but it is the it Alps. Is the yeah, Alps. it's beautiful. We've done some mountain biking on a new bike from Marin that's coming out when uh, this fall, July 5th. July 5th. Be in uh, markets September October. Nice. And so this episode came about because we were talking with them about some other brands who make the components that go on their bikes and why they did or did not spec some of them. And so I'm gonna let you guys introduce yourselves so we can hear your voices and who's who. Matt Sipes, Mountain Bike Product Manager. I'm Chris Holmes, the Brand Director at Marin. All right, so Chris, you and I were sitting on the mountainside talking about Formula Forks, which Formula is an Italian brand that does suspension forks and brakes. And I was just asking you, like, had you guys considered putting Formula Forks on your bikes? And you said, not really, because why? Well, it really comes down to the global support that a given component brand has. You know, Formula, they make some fantastic products. In fact, our CEO, he, his personal mountain bike has a Formula fork on it. Um, but it really comes down to, can, does that brand have support in all the different markets that we sell into? Okay, and by support, what do you mean? Because like, I'm thinking, aftermarket after sales support so like with forks you have seals and different fluids in it that might need replacing brakes you have brake pads is, is that it or is there something else exactly um, it comes down to you know the support that the component maker has for both the uh, the distributor the dealer as well as the consumer um, you know from the on the distributor level it could be a matter of you know say a given component maker ha- discovers an issue with a run of uh, parts and they need to make a change you know, does that component maker in, say, France have a, a, a partner who can go and maybe make the swap? You know, at a dealer level, you know, dealers are the ones who are going to be having to stock brake pads and fork seals, as you mentioned. Um, are they going to be readily accessible in that given market? And then for the consumer, they want to be able to come to a place like here in Leger and maybe they burn through a set of brake pads over a weekend. Can they go into a local shop here? 
and pick up a, a replacement set of brake pads. All right, so it's not even necessarily in the country where your product's being sold. It's it's kind of like wherever people might go ride. Because you mentioned you guys have a distributor in Israel, and so like in Israel, the chances of finding, say, formula brake pads are probably slim to none. Yeah, I mean, you know, Israel is a really uh, robust uh, mountain bike market for us. Um, you know, they may or may not have a good formula distributor, but it could be with any component brand. Right. Okay. And so, uh, one of the flip sides of that is Magura, which is a large, large, you know, international brand. You know, they've got huge motorcycle business and uh, big mountain bike business. Again, suspension products and brakes, and it's even there at that level. It's still a similar problem, right? Yeah. Um, for sure. It um, it really comes down to having accepted brands that are have global relevance and have parts all over all over the place. Um, so, you know, Shimano and SRAM, they have great um, relevance, like any shop you can go in and get pads from them, so that's, it's a, it's a pretty easy choice um, right. in, in, when you're looking at it from that side of it. And we've spec'd Magura brakes in the past, and some markets like Germany love us for it. You know, they say, oh yeah, yeah, we need more Magura, but then other markets where they don't have necessarily a strong distribution will say, can you guys please just give us Shimano brakes or SRAM brakes or you know, Tektro brakes, something that I can get parts for? Right. And Tektro is interesting because Tektro does brakes, but they use the same shape and size of brake pad as Shimano. So basically, if you can find a Shimano brake pad, you can find something that will work in Tektro. So that's kind of an interesting way to go around it. You can still make your own product, but use somebody else's kind of standards. standards yeah. to it's a brilliant move on Tektro's part to do that. All right. I think I want to kind of put this out there. This sort of answers the question. Like when you go into a bike shop and you see basically either Fox or RockShox suspension, and you see SRAM or Shimano drivetrain and brakes, it's because those two, those well, four brands have just basically a massive global distribution network of parts and suppliers and warranty systems and all that. And I liken that to when I was in the beverage industry where you walk into a 7-Eleven anywhere in the U.S. and you could find basically the same Coke products and Pepsi products and Monster and Red Bulls because those brands, besides the fact that they were paying for that shelf space, they uh, had basically a global, or at least for the U.S., you know, a national supply chain. Like you could get those products to any store anywhere in the U.S. Um, so for a small brand looking to it, that you know something I had never thought of is you need to really make sure that the support for your product and repair thing because. You know, distributor, it's not necessarily even that it's just the parts, but that distributor needs to be able to fix something or replace something. If you guys sell a bike in Israel, say, and that fork breaks, it's the retailer is not calling you directly. They're calling their distributor. And it's also the market acceptance of a given brand, too. You know, mountain bikers around the world know of Fox and RockShox and SRAM and Shimano. They may not know of Formula or Magura, for that matter. And, um, you know, if it's one more hurdle for that the shop has to overcome to try to sell a bike like you know it's a bike it's a four thousand bucks and you've got model a with a rock shocks on it and model b with a formula the dealer's gonna have to spend more time trying to sell the consumer on the formula and one step back the distributor's gonna have a harder time selling the dealer on this given model as well and another part another difficulty in getting products specced onto let's just say Marin bikes you know if a component company comes to you and says hey you know I think this would be a great fit for your your trail bike you guys have to find out where that product is being made the country of origin for that right because that can create a whole nother issue yeah for sure it's um, it is a global 
um, you know, economy and, and that couldn't be more true in today. So you really need to ask the right questions as a product manager. What are you guys doing in your market um, to support the brands? Um, where is it made so that we can ship it to our factory and get it assembled? And every little thing comes into play in, in the final choice. So it's, you know, formula, um, well, I guess, uh, you know, Ken Creek's a great example of this. Amazing product, amazing stuff, but they're shipping forks from USA. So if we were to, you know, we're, order comes from Sarabaya, Indonesia, have to ship it from there all the way back to the other side of the country, and then the whole bike ships back to the United States, it's a, it's a bit crazy. Yeah. And, and the cost can get a little out of control for us as a brand trying to maximize dollar value on the shop floor, value that bike to the consumer and the performance aspect. So. And it's not just the shipping cost, though. There's, like, duties and tariffs and all kinds of other things to consider. How does that work? Well, it, um, every country is different. And, uh, and that makes it very, very difficult. But um, for example, um, there's a lot of duties around products that if you have a bike that has a certain amount of things that are coming out of China, um, there's some extra taxes associated with that to shipping it into the Europe. So each market is different for not only bringing the parts into your assembly location, but also getting them out of that assembly location into the market you're selling into. Right. So it's, right, it's really quite complicated. And, and then there's also speed of delivery, because I know a lot of you guys manufacture your frame somewhere, and then sometimes every manufacturer is different, but sometimes they're assembled at another place. And so wherever the bike's finally, final assembly is coming into shape, the, um, the components need to be able to get their products there in a timely manner, because those assemblers are not warehouses. They don't want a warehouse, you know, millions of dollars or boxes and cartons and crates worth of inventory so if you're a tire manufacturer or a brake manufacturer you need to be able to get your tires there kind of for just-in-time delivery there's a lot of moving pieces here for a small brand that wants to make a component that would be part of a larger component it doesn't you know it could be cars it could be bikes it could be I, totally blanking yeah. on other <laughs> examples but there's a lot of things that use third-party components to create the whole you know, like what are some other things those small brands need to consider that aren't super obvious? Well, um, you know, a lot of it really comes down to the relevance of the given product. You know, does the product that they are making, is it unique in the marketplace? Does it have a strong brand presence? Is it in demand from both at all different levels of the, of the supply chain, be it from the, you know, all the way down to the consumers and all the way up to the distributors? Um, you know, we're not in the job to you know, sell other brands. We're in the job to sell Marin bikes, and um, we don't want to be put in the position of having to explain why, you know, brand X handlebar or brand Z crank is the best for you. I mean, that's really on the on the onus of the maker itself. So, um, yeah, they have to have a relevant product. They have to have some brand, you know, demand, brand awareness. Um, it has to be you know, obviously price competitively. All right. Well, let's use that brand awareness. So you guys spec Deity handlebars and stems and some other components on your bikes. And Deity is, in my mind, kind of more of like a, a trailer enduro, you know, a little more aggressive brand, which fits for some of your bikes. With a handlebar and a stem, you don't really need aftermarket support so much. You don't need to, you know, you're not going to have to replace brake pads on a handlebar. Right. So for a component category like that, where, you know, if you break one of those, you just go buy something else. You just go get a different handlebar. Is that a little bit easier to spec 
third-party brands and small brands for something like that where there's not so much service needed after the sale? Yeah, and um, yeah, each component is different, right? <laughs> to your point, a handlebar is a handlebar. Beyond like bending it or anything like that, um, you don't need to replace it. Um, so the DD comes into play, and it's 100% brand awareness and partnering with a very cool brand that brings a lot to the table when our bike is on that shop floor. It really enhances the Marin bike on the shop floor, and that's really important for us. Right. And that's a good point about it, enhancing the, the bike. You know, in the in terms of a of a component that a consumer is definitely going to see, it's a handlebar, and especially with the way the DD brands their stuff. You know, when the bikes are in on the shop floor in the typical racking where you mainly see the fork and the front end of it, you know, a bike that has Didi on it, it's going to stand out as opposed to a bike that may just have a house brand component. So let's talk assembly too because I think this plays into it. Um, you know, the bikes go in and they're assembled, in your case anyway, overseas and then boxed and shipped here. And so during that assembly process, there are decisions being made to, I think, for one component over another based on how quickly and easily it can be assembled. And I, I was thinking of grips, you know, like we're riding out here and it's kind of rough and we've got these little thin lock-on grips that I hate, but they're, you slide them on, twist the bolt, boom, done. Like for the assembly factory, it's quick. So when somebody's designing a product, how important is it for them to consider how quickly and easily it can be assembled onto the final good? You know, in, in most cases, by the time they get to the assembly at the factory, it's it's all pretty similar, and it's not a large differentiation from in doing a foam grip um, or a, a non-locking grip to a locking. The reason we choose locking is the locking adds true benefit to the rider. They get a grip that's easy to swap out, easy to replace. It doesn't twist while they're riding. So that's the bit of the reason around the lock-ons. But However, um, there's a lot of steps that fork manufacturers take to make it so their fork has a shorter lead time so they can get it to us faster and it may assemble more easily or with less quality issues. Um, for us, it's less about how fast and more about the quality levels to ensure that it's as good as it can be. Right. Um, by quality control, do you mean like fewer steps to assemble so that there's fewer thing, fewer chances for error? Yeah. Like yeah, pre totally. pre-cut steers from the fork maker. So our factory can go to a given fork supplier and say, I need them maybe pre-cut. Or it's, you know, it could be, um, you know, maybe even installing star nuts too. All right. Yeah, I can see that saving a lot of time on your end mm -hmm. to have that done. That's interesting. Okay. And let's see. Like, I'm kind of, my knowledge of how the whole process works is reaching its limits. So, like, what, what are some of the unseen things that, you know, let, let's just say Component Brand X, started up they have this cool new thing they came to you matt and they said hey why don't you spec this on your bike like what are some of the things they need to be able to show you and tell you right out of the gate yeah that's a that's a great question um it uh, it's not just one thing that makes makes a product unique or special or something that we would want to spec it's really every aspect so you know, the things we touched on is it bringing value to our bikes is it something the consumers are looking for um uh, things like, uh, is there, do I have a good relationship with their OE sales rep? Um, how good is that relationship of their company with the different assembly factories? Um, so really knowing the game and knowing how to play the game, especially on the backside, to, to make those connections is super important. But at the same time, if you don't have the right marketing, the right product look, or the right riders, or, and things like that, it's going to be one more hurdle. I think the relationship aspect is a really big part of it, especially in this bike industry, which is pretty... Um, pretty small overall. I mean, a lot of us have worked at different brands. A lot of us love the, the, the industry so much we've stayed in it over decades. Uh, and that relationship, 
those relationships really matter. Um, we have OEM sales reps that we work with. You know, there are a lot of uh, Westerners who might represent uh, different Asian brands. And if it weren't for those uh, relationships that we have with the sales reps, we may not know or to spec, you know, brand X's, say, chain rings or, you know, this new up-and-coming tire company. But if, you know, someone that we already trust who we've worked with in the past uh, comes to us with a new tire brand, you know, we're, we're going to be a lot more um, open to hearing them out as opposed to just getting a, you know, a cold email that comes in that says, hi, I'm Mr. Blah Blah from XYZ Rubber Company. I want to send you tires. Right. <laughs> I get those emails all the time. Yeah. <laughs> Not even a brand manager. Um, I have some tires waiting for me to test from something like that, actually. <laughs> okay. So, like, if I were a brand, you know, like that tire company, right, would I be better off going to find a good sales rep and get them interested in the product and let them pitch it to you guys, or should I come to you first? It, it would certainly help matters. Um, you know, Sip, you as a product manager, you get hit up all the time from various component suppliers. Um, you know, it can be like a tire company from India who may make a, you know, a great low price tire that would be good on an entry price point bike, but you know that you're never going to spec it because of the supply chain or something. Yeah, that's, that's 100%. And it, if the product is real value and performance up, uh, enhancements over what we can get at that normal price or through that normal channel, that's a standout and something we'll definitely look into and do our homework. Or if it's even you know the same performance level as an existing product that we're specking, but we get a significant cost savings without making it too much of a headache for our factory. So what about a, a brand? I, I want to go back. I got another question about the sales rep. Let me go to that because otherwise I'll forget. Yeah. So the sales rep you guys mentioned, it, it's not just that they, you guys have a relationship with that sales rep, but that, that rep has a good relationship with the assembly factory that you're using yes no maybe so not necessarily um you know a lot of the again i'm going to use asian companies as an example but a lot of these asian companies who have the western sales reps they may not even the our assembler may not even know who the western the so western usually asian company is. you mean like the the brand the manufacturer. yeah yeah the okay, manufacturer okay. yeah so um our factory probably doesn't know our you know american-based sales rep for xyz tire company so from a startup standpoint like so the xyz company comes to you you like the product whatever do you guys check into like uh, either how long they're in business how financially stable they are because obviously you don't want to spec something and then three months later they're out of business like what kind of research do you need to do or or what do they need to show you to give you that confidence to spec their product from you know, if they're a new brand you know uh, the best way i guess to answer that is like say uh a new carbon manufacturer comes up to me and says, you know, we have a new product we want you to make. Okay, who are you working with now? That's going to be a huge tell into how they're operating and what kind of level their abilities are. Um, but it's it's a bit of a smokescreen and you do have to ask the right questions. Uh, yeah. If they say they can maybe do something, they probably can't. If they say they could do it for sure, there's probably about a 50% chance they can do it. And so it takes a lot of experience and, and knowing and visiting the factories and checking stuff out. I mean, obviously you can't say, okay, send me your financials so I can see that, you know, you, you guys are steady. But uh, if they've been vetted by, say, Specialized, oh, I'm already supplying you know, these bolts to Specialized. Well, okay, that's a yeah. good start right there. Yeah, or if they're ISO 2001 certified, meaning they adhere to certain levels of manufacturing practices and levels of excellence that we know, based on that certification, that they're going to be good to go. Whether they, you know, they have invested in their own business to make sure that the quality is there. Um, and another thing is testing. Um, so you get some guy to come out of you and like, oh, these bars are great. 
we're going to do our homework and go test that bar to make sure that it holds up to CEN standards and we're not going to have a huge risk of a recall because safety is another huge piece of that. Um, someone may be offer you a bar for 10 bucks less, but if that's going to snap, that's not going to be good for anybody. Because yeah. that reflects poorly on your brand. They're exactly. Just, they're just going to bitch and moan about Marin bikes breaking stuff. and Yeah, it's not going to get back to them. No, one, no one's going to see that. They're just going to... The, these guys over at Marin don't know what they're doing. So right. you really have to do your homework on so many different levels to make sure that every single piece of that puzzle is aligned so that we can get good delivery, solid product, solid consistency, you know, consistent graphics application. It's the list is kind of insane. I mean, there's so many levels of requirements before you even get to the, okay, I'm going to put this on my bike stage. Okay. And so speaking of, let's put this on your bike. So the other thing, we uh, need to touch on is special, you call them SMUs, special... Special makeup. Makeups, which is basically like a limited edition type thing. So let's say you wanted to do a, a California edition or an Israel edition of a, a Marin trail bike that had components and everything specific to that. Or I think more relevant to this conversation is let's say I as a brand came to you and said, hey, you know, this would be great to do a special version of your bike with these components and these colorways and all that. Is that an option like can you do that or um if if there's a business case for it and in our case we do have set minimums for smus um certain markets have different requirements for instance a tire that works well in northern california may not work well in israel or uh, a few years ago you know germany still was looking for two by drivetrains and they weren't as mad about dropper posts so you know we've we've done different regional builds so to speak but again the business case has to be there you know we're not just going to make a run of a few dozen bikes because you know it's scheduling factory time to make a special one it's the factory having to order different components other that are separate from what we're using in other markets it's the risk of having leftover parts if all of a sudden the smu um you know they don't reorder or you know they they don't meet their forecast right and I think it's not something you guys do, but there's brands like Santa Cruz and Niner and I think maybe Pivot. They, they almost build on demand. So they just bring their frames into the U.S. and then build them up with whatever suspension products and drivetrain kit and everything else that the consumer wants. Is that, obviously you guys aren't doing it, but like in your experience, because you've both worked at different brands, have you seen it where a process like that makes it easier for a new component brand to come in and kind of like get their foot in the door? I would say yes because you know at Marin we're doing higher volume bikes and we're um, you know just bringing hundreds if not thousands of, of given models so that um, you know if it's a, a smaller brand that is only moving units in like the, the dozens of a given model um, it might be a better opportunity for a smaller brand to be able to get their foot in the door you know, provided they still meet all the requirements that SIP was mentioning earlier as far as you know testing and you know factory is good and you know they have good financial standing yeah so you mentioned and you guys spec deity and deity started out as an aftermarket company where they went out they made cool products they built their brand and then because they built a cool brand you guys it made sense for you guys to spec their products on your bikes they kind of proved themselves in the market and so i think i just want to see if i can recap make sure i'm not missing anything so for a brand to come in they want to become a component supplier uh, you know an oe spec item on a bigger hole you know you need a brand that resonates with consumers you need to prove that you've got the supply and delivery channels set up and it's a safe product and it helps that you have a good right. rep 
you know, selling your product. Good relationship, either a good rep that has a relationship with you guys or they've managed to build a relationship with you guys. Like what What else, what are we missing from that equation? I mean, it's all like, a, it, it's in each case, it's a, it's a different combination of each one of those things. Deity is the case where they've built such a relevant and appealing brand for people that it's an instant win on the shop floor in terms of enhancing the product. But for some other brands, there may be other factors that play into why we're considering them um, for that space. And it, it really comes down to, um, the, the level of the bike, the experience of the bike, and who that, what level of consumer we're looking to target that bike to. So on, you know, for the Alpine Trail coming out and the Wolf Ridge, they're more aggressive trail bikes. Deity makes a lot of sense on those to really pump people stoke and get them fired up that they're getting a really high-end component out of the gate on their bike and they're not gonna have to swap out to their favorite bar and stem. Right. With, with Deity, it worked out really well too because we were the first, if we were one of the first, if not the first, uh, brand to spec Deity as OEM and it was mutually beneficial because for Deity it gave the, their brand um, just higher awareness with a lot more bikes you know on shop floors with their bars and stems and for us it you know gave us some of their we, we were able to take some of their cool factor with us right you know yeah. showing showing the riders that we're progressive enough and we recognize that Deity is a, a, a great brand with fantastic components and we wanted them to be a part of our bike. Yeah, I think for any small brand like that, it's that gives them a lot of credibility and that all of a sudden, oh yeah, you know, like these bigger brands trust them enough to inspect their stuff. All right, is there anything I haven't asked that would be helpful? No, I think we, we covered really a lot of it. It comes down to making sure that the brands are making product at the high end. It's so, like solving for a rider's need and thinking about you know what what true benefit they're bringing to the table and telling a cool story and something that you know consumers can relate to and that but then there's still got to be all the rest of it on the backside so it's not just one thing it's really a everything we discussed that that opens the doors and really allows us to to work with brands more awesome thanks a lot guys yeah, let's, let's go ride cheers yeah. worth reiterating that this isn't just about getting your small part spec as a component of a bigger part. The applications for this episode extend to anything that works by piecing together smaller parts, brands, people, or ideas. A concert doesn't work without lighting, speakers, admission systems, etc. My home theater doesn't work without speaker wire, batteries, and a remote. Microsoft sells their Xbox with game bundles because those games have a built-in audience that will drive more sales and eventual online memberships for Xbox Live. So think, how can you position your product or service so that it adds value to something bigger? I have five key takeaways you need to remember to help get your product spec as original equipment or otherwise used on someone else's finished good. First, create a good product that adds value to the whole. Second, make sure you can service your product wherever that finished good is sold. Third, be able to prove you have quality manufacturing partners and can meet demand. Fourth, prove that your product is safe and performs up to spec. And lastly, create brand awareness and desire before going after OE spec. That'll make your sales efforts so much easier. Like any other business venture, if you can reliably provide value to the end consumer, or in this case, to the intermediate consumers and brand partners, you're starting from a good place. Thanks for listening. Before you go, I have one small favor to ask. Can you head to Apple Podcasts or Stitcher and leave a rating and review? 
and share this or any other episode with a friend. Those two things really help me grow this to keep getting more amazing guests for us all to learn from. Here's hoping you're creating value and becoming part of something amazing. Until next time, keep building.